0: I want to share with you this morning a story out of the Old Testament in hopes that hearing this story today would prepare all of us for the prayer series that we will begin next week. The story begins in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles with a man named King Ahaz, King Ahaz is the king over Judah, and he is a king that does not do what is right in the Lord's eyes. The ways that he led Judah to rebel against God can be summarized by the statement in 2 Chronicles that he closed the doors to the temple of God. He just shut them. He bolted them, locked them, shut them and they were shut off to the people, there was no opportunity to come in to the temple of God and experience the presence of God as God had prescribed for his people. For 25 years, his son, Hezekiah, watched his dad lead the nation. He also watched nations around Judah come in and wreak havoc on Judah. And Hezekiah knew this was happening because God's people rebelled against God. And then the day came that Ahaz passed away and Hezekiah took the throne. And when Hezekiah took the throne, one of the very first things he does is reopen the doors of the temple. He invites the Levites and the priests. These are the ministers and the pastors of the temple that provide opportunity for the people of God to come and worship the Lord. He invites the priests and the Levites back in and they began to take out of the temple the idols that had been put in there to worship foreign gods. Imagine the temple of the Most High God being filled with idols that gave people the opportunity to worship other gods which were not gods at all. And the priests and the Levites, they go in there and they clean that place out. They consecrate everything. They set apart everything appropriately for the worship of God in the temple. When everything's done and right, Hezekiah says, Let's start worshiping the Lord. And they start making offerings and going through the steps of worshiping God. And it is this amazing experience. And Hezekiah and the group there decide this is not enough. This is not all that God wants to do. And they began to formulate a plan to conduct Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This great celebration that commemorates God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. A commemoration that was supposed to be conducted every year that had not been done for years and years. And now Hezekiah is saying with this group that is gathered to worship, we need to do Passover again that's where we pick up the story, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Let's start reading together in verse 1. Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month, since they could not celebrate it at that time, because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. Now, what verse 3 is referencing here is a problem. Passover was supposed to be conducted in the first month of the year on the 14th day. Notice they're past that date. So they got a fundamental problem. They cannot follow the prescribed law for celebrating the Passover. They don't have enough priests ready. Everything was not ready on time. They don't have the people there, but they still are going to send out the invitations. To come to the Passover, even though they have no way of doing the Passover correctly. Verse 4. Thus the thing was right in the sight of the king and all the assembly. So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not celebrated it in great numbers as it was prescribed. The couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king, saying, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those of you who escaped and are left from the hands of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a horror, as you see. He made them a horror, as you see and now do not stiffen your neck like your fathers but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. And serve the Lord your God that his burning anger may turn away from you for you return to the Lord your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. It's an amazing message sent out by couriers all throughout the land offering an invitation to the people to return to the Lord and find compassion Notice he says that the people who are suffering the worst as a result of the rebellion of God's people those who've been taken captive by some of the Assyrians would receive compassion from the Lord if these people who had been spared from being taken into captivity would turn back to the Lord. This is an incredible invitation given to the people to experience the compassion of the Lord in ways that would ripple out into the region, into the lives of those who most severely were affected by the rebellion of God's people against God himself. This invitation is sent out by couriers, letters from the king saying, come back, yield to the Lord. It's, It's a picture here of God offering a hand of invitation so that the people might give their hand to God and come back home to Him. That's what that word means, to yield to the Lord, to give your hand to the Lord. It's as if God is reaching His hand out to the people in the entire region through the voice of the couriers by way of the letter of the King offering a hand of compassion. Come back. I will receive you. My compassion will ripple out from you to affect those who need it even more than you. Take my hand. So the couriers go out into all the land and look what happens. Verse 10, the couriers pass from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. The couriers went out, and some people just laughed at them. The invitation was given. God wants to meet you at this place and receive you and show you his compassion. And they just laughed at him and mocked him. Some humbled themselves and came back. And then all of Judah, the hand of the Lord was on Judah. And this massive gathering comes around the temple. And they're all there responding, those who responded, responding to the invitation of God, the open hand of God. And they've come together to take part in the Passover feast. Look at verse 13. Now, many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. In the second month, a very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars, which were in Jerusalem. They also removed the the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. So they're continuing to cleanse the problems here in Jerusalem of idolatry. They're preparing as best they can by getting rid of all this stuff having to do with idolatry. Then they slaughter the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. Now, there is permission given in Numbers chapter 9 to do the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. But the permissions given in Numbers 9 don't apply here. This is just all out of whack. Even though they're trying to do it right, they cannot do it right. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed of themselves, and they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They were not ready. Verse 16, they stood at their stations after their custom according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore the Levites were over the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was unclean, In order to consecrate them to the Lord. For multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Isaacar, and Zebulun, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. What do you have here? You have this massive gathering of people led by priests and Levites, and nobody is right before God. Nobody. They're a mess. Everything is wrong. And even in their attempts to get right, no matter how right they try to get, they can't correct the wrong because they're not doing it on the right date. So no matter how well they do in trying to get things right, they're coming before God in a totally wrong way. And look what Hezekiah does. He cries out to the Lord. Hezekiah prayed for them. and He said, may the good Lord pardon me. Everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, Lord, would you pardon these people? They've set their heart to seek you. They've not done it right. None of us are right. Everyone here is wrong, but would you pardon us because we have set our heart to seek you. And so the Lord heard Hezekiah and he healed the people. He healed the people. God looked at a people who was in every way wrong before him. And because they had set their heart to seek him, he healed them of the sins that stood in the way Of them experiencing his compassion. He extended compassion just like the invitation said. You come and the Lord will show you compassion. They came, everything wrong about it. And the Lord healed them of everything that was wrong. So they could experience everything about him that was right. Amazing response. The sons of Israel present in Jerusalem, verse 21, celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. I could make a comment right there about loud instruments, but I won't. Verse 22. Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of the Lord. So they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings, giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast for another seven days. And so they celebrated seven days with joy. Then Hezekiah supplies all they need for that. Verse 25, all the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, both the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. So there was great Joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Then the Levitical priest arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that just gets me fired up thinking about what would it have been like to be in that moment, to have everything wrong, and God to say, it doesn't matter how wrong you've been, you've set your heart to seek me, I've cleansed you of your sins, and now I'm pouring out my compassion on you, and the joy just rippled through the people, so much so that seven days of celebration was not sufficient. They needed 14 days. They needed more celebration because the joy was overwhelming in the fact that they had been received and experienced the unmerited compassion of God just because he is a God who is compassionate. Amazing. They just worshiped, they had joy, and the prayers reached the ear of God. You know when I you want to know how you can prepare for our prayer series? Set your heart to seek the Lord today. There's nothing more important that you can do to prepare yourself for a series devoted to prayer than to set your heart to seek the Lord. It doesn't matter how you came into this place today. You could have messed up everything, everything that you could mess up and you walked in this place believing you had no chance to experience the presence of God because you've been so far from Him. The Lord says to those who set their heart to seek Him, He offers an open hand of compassion and you merely need to put your hand in His and trust that His forgiveness is sufficient. Your prayers will reach the ears of God. Please set your heart to seek the Lord. You know know what the people did immediately after the time of celebration was over? The time of their worship? The 14-day revival? Look at chapter 31, verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, and pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. Then the sons of Israel returned to their cities each to his own possession. When they left their time of worship together, they all went out into the places that they live in groups and they identified everything that was in their lives that was a distraction from the worship of God and God alone. They destroyed the idols, they crushed them, they burned them, they obliterated the things in their lives that had taken them away from the worship of God alone, and they wanted to make sure that their lives were right before the Lord. They experienced the compassion of God. And after they left their time of worship, their lives were different They didn't allow the same things to stay in their lives after their experience in the presence of God because seeing God's compassion made them look at what they did differently. They now looked at what they did from the perspective of having been in God's presence. And having been in God's presence, these idols that were formerly acceptable in my daily life are no longer acceptable because I long for the presence of God more in my life. And if I long for Him more, I need to get rid of the things that are keeping me from Him. And they went out and destroyed the idols. Do you you see the parallel here in this story? Isn't it remarkable? We have an invitation from a king, Jesus Christ. He has written down the invitation in this book. And you can read his words. He says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is light and easy. And if you come to me, you will find rest for your soul. Come to me and I will give you bread and you will never hunger. I will give you water and you will never thirst. Jesus says, You come to him and he will satiate your soul with satisfaction. He has offered an open hand of invitation. Receive mercy and grace. And this invitation is remarkably different than the invitation the couriers took out in all of Israel. This invitation is one where the debt has already been paid in full. Their invitation is one looking Forward to Christ. Our invitation is one where Christ has already paid the debt for all your sin. If you receive the invitation of Jesus Christ and you place your hand in his the compassion you receive covers all your sins for all time do you realize that your debt of sin is ever increasing all your life come to church to be encouraged (laughs) all your life all you can do is add to the debt of your sin you can't take away from it if I do a lot of good things in my life which I try to do you know what those don't take the place of or cover up or balance out all the things I've done wrong and for the rest of my life I'm going to continue to make mistakes and have failures and have sin in my life so that the debt of my sin is ever increasing now I hope That because of Christ in my life, the rate of the increase of my debt is slowing down. But the fact is, the increase of my debt in sin is always increasing to the end of my life. But what Jesus Christ has done is he says, I've paid your debt, no matter how much it increases. And my presence in your life certainly will decrease the increase of debt of sin. But no matter how much it increases, no matter how big it is when you meet me, I've paid it sufficiently in full. You just need to receive my compassion. He's taking care of it. And now, we who have experienced the compassion and the the grace of God in moments like this, we are sent as couriers into the land. I want to invite you to come and experience the presence of God with the people of God, where you will hear the message of the Passover Lamb who gave his life so that you might have life. Some will respond. And some will make fun. But unless we go forth as couriers, how will they know about the invitation? And when they come into this place, when we come into this place, we get to experience the outpouring of the compassion of God. I love coming into this place every single week and enjoying the presence of God while we worship together as the family of God because I'm reminded of the compassion of God. I experience the presence of God. The Word of God pierces my heart and I am brought to the place of realizing just how significant it is that I am forgiven. Forgiven. I was in a meeting a couple years ago, and we were planning for a mission trip. And there was one gentleman who was making plans to go on the trip, and he made a comment to me after the meeting, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. I owe over $2,000 to be able to go to the trip, and I can't pay for it. I said, do you believe that God's called you to go on this trip? He said, I really do. I've been praying about that, and I believe this is God's will for my life. So, let's just keep praying that God would take care of this in some way. Over the next week, I received a phone call in the church office from somebody who said, I want to anonymously pay for everything that gentleman owes. Do you know he owes over $2,000? Doesn't matter. Whatever he owes, I'm paying for it. God has laid it on my heart to take care of his expenses. I'm like, I'm just excited. I can't believe this. this is so awesome. I thought that he'd gotten word about that through our church office. We, the next day, we have a meeting again. We're gathered there, and I said, does anybody have anything that they like to praise the Lord about? I'm thinking, this guy's going to be the first one to stand up and scream out, I've got something to praise the Lord about. And he just sits there. He's got nothing. And it dawns on me during the course of the meeting, he does not yet know. He doesn't know what God has done. And I said, hey, I've got something I want to share. You have received your way paid in full by the Lord. And he's just like, t- t- tears start streaming down his eyes. He's so excited. The whole room is full of joy. Everybody left that night amazed at what God had done because a man's debt he could not pay had been paid in full on the, the price of somebody else's gift. Do you know that's what happens every Sunday? That's what happens every single Sunday. We come in this place and somebody here in this place recognizes the depth of their sin debt and they realize the significance of their forgiveness and they cannot contain the joy and it just ripples through this place. If you're not sharing the joy of your forgiveness with people around you when we gather corporately by singing, by raising your hands, by praying, by coming along beside somebody saying, hey, let's pray together. Hey, let's go down the front. We need to turn our hearts over to the Lord. If you're not doing those things, then we're not experiencing the overflowing joy that we need to be experiencing when we gather. We need to be sharing what's happening in our hearts with those around us so that we will then be a people who walk out of those doors and go into our lives on Monday morning and start Wrecking the idols that have plagued our life the week before. There's not a single person in this room that is able to escape the onslaught of the idolatry around us in the week before coming into this moment. And when we come into here, we need to so experience the presence of God together that together we go out and say, this week, I'm going to get rid of some of those idols in my life because I want more of Christ. And to get more of Christ, i got to get out of my life what's distracting me from Christ. We just go out our lives, change. You know what happens in your life when you experience the presence of the Lord on the basis of the invitation of the king and your life is radically transformed? You know what happens in your life when you begin to destroy the idols in your life and you seek Christ and you experience his presence again and again? You know what happens in you? You begin to want to help others do the very same thing. That's what happens. We're not going to read all of chapter 31 today, but you ought to read it. The rest of chapter 31 is pretty phenomenal. Hezekiah realizes, we got to make sure this continues. What just happened in our nation, we got to make sure it continues. So here's what he did. He decided that he would give whatever it took to make it continue. That was required of the king to give to make the temple and worship continue, And then he sent out into the rest of the nation another invitation to give as God required so that the work of the temple would continue. You know what people did? They did what was natural after you experienced the compassion of God that so severely changes your life that you go out and wreck the idols of your life and you devote yourself to Christ. They gave. Everybody gave out of their means, and the next thing you know, they've got heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff that people have given to take care of the ministry of the temple so that the people who were ministering there came to Hezekiah and said, we've got all we need and more. We can do anything and everything God calls us to do. It was this amazing experience of the provision of God through the people of God to continue the ministry of God. About 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, I was in a youth ministry in a church much like this one in Amarillo, Texas. And they would have camps for the youth every summer. And I love going to those camps. I love being involved in the youth ministry. They invested a lot of money in that church into youth ministry. It was on one of those camps where God really began to work in my heart. In fact, there were several of those camps that I could not afford to go to. Uh, my, my mom did not make enough money at certain times in my life as a teenager for me to be able to afford to go to those. And the youth pastor would occasionally come up to me and say, are you going to camp this summer? I said, I'd love to go to camp. I can't afford it. And he'd say, well, there's somebody in the church that is um, giving money for people who can't afford it, and they'd love for you to go. And I was able to go to camp because somebody gave. I was able to experience this youth ministry because a lot of people gave. Do you you realize that it was on one of those youth camp experiences where God began to deal with my heart about becoming a pastor? See, over 30 years ago, people whose lives were transformed by the compassion of God who set their lives in order by removing idolatry and setting their hearts to worship God and God alone, decided to invest in helping others do the very same thing. And one of the ways they invested is they gave for the ministry of the church to continue. Little did they know, little did you know, that those gifts over 30 years ago would have an effect on you today. Do you know where you're sitting right now in this worship center? Happened because over 30 years ago, a group of people who had experienced the compassion of God, who had destroyed the idols of of rebellion in their own life and set their hearts to worship God alone, came together and said, we want to give of our lives to make this location possible. You sit here because someone gave. Thirty years ago, little did they know that this would be happening today. I love that when we come together, God so works in our lives that our lives are so changed that we want to help others do the same thing. There is no more significant reason to be a people who pray. I want our hearts to be ready. Set your heart to seek the Lord. In chapter 30, verse 15, there's an interesting statement. It says the priests and the Levites were ashamed. That really stuck out to me. They were supposed to be ready for whatever God was doing because they were the guys who were leading the way. But the guys who were leading the way weren't ready at all. And they were ashamed. Several years ago, I believed that God was leading the church I was pastoring in a particular direction. I had confidence that this was what God was going to do. And I was leading the whole church that way. The whole church felt confident about this. And what I believed God would do was certainly a big ask. It was a big deal. And I thought that I had faith in leading the church. And you know what? God ended up doing twice what I believed he could do. And I was ashamed. Because I didn't believe God could do more than I asked or imagined. I don't want to intentionally make that mistake again. But I'd love for God to do more than any of us could ever ask or imagine. But it won't happen if we don't set our hearts to seek the Lord.